6, verse 1 to 11. It's on page 63. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grand field, and his disciples began to pick some pass of grain, brought them in their hands, and hid the corners. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to give. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see that he's a hill on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with a shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful? on the Sabbath, to the good or to the evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God. Well, Rabbi, it seems like 2017 has uh, granted all of us here today that double-edged blessing may you live in interesting times. <laughs> the first weeks of the year, we've seen uh, an inauguration, we've seen protests, we've seen debates, we've even seen extreme weather. And uh, as uh, Rabbi and I talked about what theme we might choose for our exchange this year between Claremont Presbyterian Church and Temple Beth Israel, we decided that given all of that, we would look at our own religious traditions to see what tools these traditions give us for living with faith and integrity and discernment in these interesting and turbulent times. Now, when I first checked to see what the text was in the narrative lectionary for today, and I saw that it was a heated debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, I thought, well, that's not a great one for an interesting <laughs> But then as uh, Jonathan and I talked more, we had occurred to us that Sabbath 
is one of the tools that God has given us. And both of our religious traditions have uh, valued the Sabbath as one of the great spiritual resources that we have for uh, being attentive to God's voice to us in the chaos of life and for discerning and resisting evil and for um, just being able to be well-grounded and uh, at, at peace and ready to act uh, when we're called to do so. So after uh, we consulted a little bit, we agreed that we, we jump right in and we tackle this text together. So first of all, let's talk about what's actually happening in this text, this debate. Sometimes when Christian preachers um, preach on this text or other texts like it about the Sabbath in the other Gospels, um, sometimes we... We Christian preachers tend to act like Jesus is having like a completely innovative breakthrough here on what the Sabbath means. But I've read in commentaries, even by Christian um, scholars, and certainly by Jewish scholars, that um, what's happening here, the debate between Jesus and the Pharisees, is very much representative of debates that were happening within Judaism at the time about what the Sabbath meant and how it ought to be observed, and that Jesus' viewpoint was not actually outside the boundaries of the debates that were already taking place in Judaism at that time. You want to say a little more about that? Sure. So I think it's actually this, this conversation that takes place here is both an intra-Jewish conversation and a Christian-Jewish polemic, the way that it plays out. We certainly know that the harsh criticisms that are uh, given to the, the Pharisees by Jesus are criticisms that appear within the Jewish tradition itself. We see them in uh, discussions that come up, uh, the way the prophets challenge the, the, uh, uh, the outward piety that is sometimes uh, shown without the uh, moral uh, drive that should go with it. We see it in the Dead Sea Scrolls where some of these debates are preserved uh, in other kinds of ways. Um, we know that there are always debates. We see it in the rabbinic tradition, in the Talmud, and in other places about, you know, what are the rules uh, here about the Sabbath? What about that? What overcomes that? For instance, we, we always have in Jewish tradition that pikuach nefesh doche hashabbat, that the saving of a life always overrides uh, Sabbath. And then the question becomes, uh, what's that mean, and how do those things play out in different ways? Um, and we see that in other places, perhaps uh, not connected directly to the Sabbath, but to the Sabbath of Sabbaths, as it's often called, like Yom Kippur, where we actually choose to read on Yom Kippur the passage from Isaiah, which says, is this, is this the fast that I want, that you sit and fast and sit in sackcloth and ashes? No, I want you to feed the hungry and, and bring the homeless into your home and do all of these kinds of things. Um, but in fact, Isaiah is not criticizing the fasting or the ritual. In fact, he would require it. Uh, but he is railing against those who do not allow the fast to challenge their moral slumber, who are engaged in the ritual without the, without the moral drive that should come from it. And uh, we see some of that here in this text, however, also. So the text, the story probably originates with Jesus' criticism of his fellow Jews, but it's now embedded in a text directed primarily to Gentiles. 
what may show remnants of this internal Jewish dispute becomes, in a sense, a criticism of those Jews who did not embrace a Christian path along the way. And most scholars believe that the text isn't written until the late 1st or early 2nd century by a Gentile author who doesn't know, at least we get from other places in Luke, who doesn't know the Jewish tradition very well, and that it's intended for a Gentile audience. Um, And it's at a time that Christianity is already trying to define itself in opposition to Judaism. By the way, the same is happening in Judaism at the time, that we have lots of Jewish texts from that time that are trying to force those Christian Jews out of the synagogue and uh, into their own into their own spaces. Um, and so this becomes also part of the, the anti-legalistic polemic of Christianity, but it's based on, in a sense, conversations and debates that were happening uh, within the Jewish community in an intra-Jewish conversation. Uh, Jonathan and I also talk about how in the uh, current modern mainline Presbyterian church and also in the Reformed Jewish, Jewish tradition, we, we both of those traditions today come out of a, a tradition where our grandparents and great-grandparents observed the Sabbath much, much more strictly than we do now. Um, and I know that some of you have told me stories of growing up, how you know, we weren't allowed, you know, this is the Presbyterian tradition, you weren't allowed to knit on the Sabbath because that was working. Many of you have seen the film um, Chariots of Fire, where uh, the Scottish runner uh, you know, has a huge moral dilemma because he just can't bring himself to compete, to enter a competition on the Sabbath, because that's just so contrary to his Presbyterian ethos. And I served a church in Portland, Oregon, that was founded specifically based on Sabbath observance. The church was about a little less than three miles from downtown Portland, where First Presbyterian Church was located. And as you know, in Portland, it rains a lot. So people from that neighborhood were taking the streetcar on Sunday to get to church, which meant that they were party to other people having to work on the Sabbath to run the streetcar. And this was such a huge moral dilemma. This is in the 1890s that they decided they better found a Presbyterian church in that neighborhood so that the people that lived there would not have to have this huge moral dilemma every week of do they take the streetcar and force someone to work on the Sabbath or do they stay home in this church? Both equally bad choices, right? So I know you probably can tell similar stories. Well, I, I can, and certainly even today within Jewish traditional Jewish communities, Orthodox uh, Jewish communities, there are all sorts of restrictions on the Sabbath. Uh, Certainly they wouldn't ride a streetcar, but they also wouldn't turn on or off lights or use a telephone or use anything that you turn on and off, the cell phone, the television, the various things. Uh, Wouldn't drive, wouldn't carry things outside uh, from a private space to a public space. And actually, that's why Jewish communities to this day, if you go to West Los Angeles or you go to other places, they have something called an A-roof, which is sort of an imaginary barrier. It's not imaginary in that there's something there, but it's not a true barrier. Sometimes it's a wire that runs around a neighborhood up at at the way up above your heads. But it makes that all into private space so that you can carry your 
Talit bag or your, your child or whatever to the synagogue on a Saturday, on the Sabbath. Um, and of course, it would have been a day that people spent really much of the day in a Jewish community. The Saturday morning services are not an hour. Uh, and, uh, you know, might be from 9 to 12.30 or something that people were spending in the synagogue on, on, sh- on Shabbat, on Sabbath morning. So there were all sorts of restrictions. Um, and even in our reform practice, um, where Sabbath was shifted in all sorts of ways and primary service was moved from Saturday morning to Friday evening and other kinds of things like that, um, the level of observance of that Sabbath, of people uh, being present both in the pews and also of having that be a uh, much more foundational day in their week was much higher. Um, if we go back, you know, even just uh, a couple of generations. So I think as some of these really strict practices were uh, left behind or reinterpreted both in the Reformed Jewish tradition and in the Presbyterian tradition, a lot of people experienced this as greatly liberating. But I wonder, you know, did we lose something with, um, with focusing on Sabbath as an important concept? Jesus uh, asserts in another version of the story in one of the other Gospels that the Sabbath was made for humanity. So what was God giving us when God placed Sabbath at the heart of religious observance uh, in the Ten Commandments? Well, let's just go straight to the, the Ten Commandments for a moment. Um, Ten Commandments appear twice in the... In the Hebrew Bible, they appear in the book of Exodus, and they appear again in the book of Deuteronomy. And each of them gives, each version of the Ten Commandments, because they're not identical, uh, gives a different reason uh, that we observe the Sabbath. And so, in one place, we read that the Sabbath is uh, about remembering the creation of the world. God created in in six days and rested on the seventh Therefore, we do the same thing. And in the other place, it talks about why do we rest? Because we were slaves in Egypt, and um, slaves don't get rest, and so we now have built into the system a series of rest. And so we have, even to this day, when we make Kiddush, when we make the prayer of sanctification over the Sabbath on Friday evening, we have in there both the words, Zikaron lema'asev reshit, this is a remembrance of the days of creation. And Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim. And this is a remembrance of the leaving of Egypt. One is we are part of the world of creation. Most of the time we manipulate creation on Shabbat, we just are. We step back from reshaping the world around us. It's a time to be, to create space for holiness. It also reminds us that God isn't a Jewish God, but the God of creation. Abraham Joshua Heschel taught, what is idolatry? An idol is a God who is mine, but not yours. A God concerned with me, but not with you. Zecher Litziat Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, is really about the story about when the Israelites become a people. It reminds us of our particularistic Jewish story. It reminds us that we were strangers in the land of Egypt. It reminds us of the responsibilities that grow out of our particularistic 
uh, narrative. So we have within the Sabbath both that universal story that reinforces our place in humanity and that particularistic story that reinforces our sense of mission and purpose, specifically as Jews in the world throughout through our own narrative. And Heschel talks about the Sabbath as a palace in time. Uh, and we understand Judaism creates holiness by trying to create time that's different from other time. And that the Sabbath is that. And when we take Sabbath seriously, it gives us the space to be able to uh, connect with the things that are most important around us. And we lose, we lose that when we don't take Sabbath seriously in our lives. I think that the, um, the Christian tradition, a lot of that, that same thing is true, that a day when you don't work uh, is a day where your identity is completely founded in God. Where you're not identified by uh, your job, you're not identified by your income, you're not identified by your vocation, you're not identified by what you can buy or produce. Uh, you're simply uh, resting your identity as a child of God. Um, a Presbyterian writer, Walter Goodman, says he, he thinks in our contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. And as we think a little bit about um, you know, how is Sabbath part of our toolbox, taking <coughs> Sabbath, really taking it seriously and as a day of rest, a break, uh, um, how that is part of our toolbox for living in these interesting times, I, I think some of the questions that I would ask then, for those of us who have a hard time taking Sabbath, uh, not working, uh, not multitasking either on Sunday or Saturday or any other day, some of the questions we might ask ourselves interests are served by us being overscheduled and overextended and exhausted. Right? Whose interests are served by that? Whose interests are served when, you know, we see something happening, we see it on the news, something that we're just really upset about and we're really against, but damn, we are just too tired to do anything about it. You know, too tired to write a letter, too tired to go to a demonstration, too tired to you know, join an organization that's working against whatever this thing is that we see that we don't like. And whose interests are served when we're just too tired to do that? And whose interests are served when we've got no time set apart for family and neighbors and community? You know, who, whose interests are served when, when we don't know our neighbors because we're so busy? Whose interests are served by that? That, you know, when we see something in our community that we'd like to work toward or work against. We don't know our neighbors well enough to go knock on the door and say, hey, I'm concerned about this, what about you? Um, you know, and whose interests are served when we don't come together in our spaces of worship uh, to know one another and to discern God's will together? You know, who's, who's, whose interests are really being served when coming together like this is to see this just very optional and something that you can dispense with when it doesn't fit in with your design? So Ahara Am uh, is actually a pen name for an early, one of the early Zionist thinkers, Asher Ginsburg. Ahara Am means one of the people. Uh, but he wrote that more than the Jewish people has kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept the Jewish people. The sense that it was the place of communal connection, it was the sense of 
time. Uh, It was a relief from the tyranny of time. It was an opportunity to stand back from the world and reconnect to our deepest values, to our families, to our community, to God. The Sabbath plays all of those opportunities, uh, all of those, has all those opportunities embedded with it, within it. I actually think we need Shabbat, we need the Sabbath now more than ever. We live in a 24-7 world, uh, something constantly ringing or vibrating in our pockets. Um, We need a time, really now, not just metaphorically, but literally, to unplug, to connect with people uh, face-to-face, to have opportunities for connection, um, to get out of our, our bubbles uh, that, that we live in, in all of these different kinds of ways. Um, in order to... It's very difficult to make time for those things without some structure uh, in our lives, without having a day that we try to make different uh, from other days. Now, as a reform rabbi, I tend not to talk about so much as Orthodox colleagues might all the things that you can't do on the Sabbath. But I do want to, I do talk about quite often the opportunities, right, that, that Shabbat, that the Sabbath can give us, right? Opportunities for that human connection, opportunities to take a walk with your, with your family, opportunities to connect with community and with God, opportunities to discern uh, some of the things that we just even haven't had time to reflect on during the week, but that may impact our actions in the week to come, in the way that we, we choose to be, to reflect on our moral character, to think about have we just gotten so wrapped up in the, the day-to-day that um, we're not allowing ourselves to be moved to new action. All of those kinds of things, I think, Shabbat, the Sabbath, gives us opportunity for. And in that way, um, Shabbat is also a bit of resistance. It's a resistance to the, the tyranny of the world pressing in, a resistance to this idea that we must be uh, producing something all the time, 24-7, a resistance to this idea that, um, that uh, there, isn't, there isn't time in our world for the things that are most important. Um, and it's a spiritual resistance that I think uh, all of us can use. And I think it's something that's really, uh, in, a, in a surprising way, attractive to uh, folks that you wouldn't think it might be attractive to. Jonathan shared with me a video that was made by a young Jewish woman who is very secular, not doesn't consider herself a religious Jew at all, and yet is very has been very taken recently with um, reintroducing herself and her family to Sabbath, to Shabbat, to actually you know taking a day where they're not on their computers and they don't go to work and they, they just spend time together. Likewise, a friend of mine, another Presbyterian clergywoman, recently wrote a book called Sabbath in the Suburbs, which goes over a lot of the things that Jonathan and I have just talked about. 
And she says that one of the big surprises for her has been um, people that have contacted her, you know, that have read the book and contacted her that are maybe grew up in church, maybe not, but are really, really attracted to this idea of the discipline of Sabbath for their families, for themselves, uh, as a way to uh, reclaim their identity as, as human beings and to not uh, always be available to the world of commerce and business all the time. So I think this is a toolbox not only those of us who are currently active in churches and synagogues have, it's something that we have to share with the world at this particular time. Thank you. Thank you.